from the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah, we're so happy to be here. Wendy and I have been watching a really fun series. In fact, we just finished watching it. I got Wendy a Christmas present which was a subscription to BritBox. BritBox is the BBC streaming service yeah. and we've always enjoyed BBC specials and miniseries and such and we found a gem. It's called North and South. It came out in 2004. Yeah. And you want to say a little bit about the story? Uh, yeah. Well, it it has so many elements that just are great for our hearts. Like we love that historical setting, but more importantly, we love the compelling characters facing real challenges that are interesting and kind of make you think and make you care about them. Yeah. And it's a love story that you never expect these two people are ever going to get together and you kind of know they are because that's the way stories go, but you're like, how's it going to (laughs) happen? Yeah. So, and it's family friendly, right? There's nothing... Yeah, it's family-friendly. We're going to watch it with our kids. So you know that we like to talk about things that we watch and enjoy, and we're just passing it along if you're looking for some good entertainment. Right. North and South, 2004. It's four-hour-long episodes. Definitely worth checking out. Absolutely. Do you have any updates for us from the TUB Institute? I do indeed. This month, January of 2024, we are offering the TOB One course online. And then in February, we are offering the TOB2 course online. So you could do the double header. If you have never taken a TOB1 course, now is your time to strongly consider it. And you'll be all primed and ready in February to take TOB2. So check out the link below to learn more about our course schedule for the whole of 2024. Yeah. Are you ready now for a question from a patron? I am, but before... Oh, you wanted to say something. Yeah, I wanted to say something about questions in general. There are questions that we get. uh, Wendy, of course, screens all of those, and she reports this to me, that there are a lot of questions we get that we... we, How do I put this, Wendy? You're you're more sensitive about this maybe than I know. How how would you say Yeah, I just... They're probably not appropriate to talk about on a podcast. Yeah, let's put it that way. We we know we're talking about God's plan for human sexuality here, and that stirs up lots and lots of questions. Just the nature of our podcast, the way we 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 try to keep a certain boundary in a public setting with the podcast, we consider that there are certain questions that come in that eh, it's probably better not to address that on the podcast, but we don't want to leave people hanging. That's so, right. so please, I, I, if you have a specific question about sexual morality where you need to get into some of the, shall we say, in the, lang- in the words of uh, Nacho Libre, the nitty gritties, mm-hmm. if you are looking for answers to some nitty gritty questions, uh, please check out my book, Good News About Sex and Marriage. And we're going to post a link to that in the show notes with a discount for our podcast listeners, specifically for you. Uh, I'm, I'm not here trying to hawk my wares, uh, although I'd be, you know, I do believe these books are definitely worth reading. But uh, just to show our goodwill here, we're not trying to make money off of you or something. 
Um, we're going to give you a discount code so you can get that book at a, a reduced rate for all our podcast listeners. And especially those, if you've sent in a question, a kind of nitty-gritty sexual morality question that we have not addressed on air, it's because there are certain sensitivities we have in doing a podcast. But I do get into those nitty-gritties in my book, Good News About Sex and Marriage. And if a specific question is not addressed directly in that book, I give you the tools to provide the answer for yourself. So there are 150 questions and answers in the Good News book. Check out the link in the show notes. Awesome. And I just want to say one more thing. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Those questions that come in that we're not answering, it's not because we don't think they're worthy of of answers. That's right. These are valid questions, very important questions to married life, to our own personal lives, to understand what it means to be human, to understand God's plan for making us male and female. It's not for some, you know, oh, that's too shameful to address. It's 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 a matter of, of kind of um, decorum or propriety in a public setting. You know, people listen to this podcast sometimes driving in a car and maybe their kids are there. I mean, we, we aren't afraid to go a certain extent into these details on the show if this is not a um, a G-rated show, um, we're we're willing to go to a certain extent. But when it gets into some of the real specifics, it's better to to approach that in writing. Is my is our perspective? Yeah, I'm so glad you said that because I don't want anybody thinking, "Oh, Wendy's read my question and been offended by right, it or something right. or troubled that it was asked." So please don't hear that. Yeah, our... it's it's just real human stuff. People really have questions about. And just the best setting for some of those things is in, in written form. Yeah. Question time. Let's do it. This is from a patron named William. Hello, William. Thank you, William, for your monthly support of our work. So grateful to you. William says, thank you so much for your ministry. I'm a 65-year-old man who was raised Catholic. My faith grew in college through an evangelical campus ministry. I have some formal training from an evangelical seminary and have been leading Bible studies and teaching Bible classes in church and other adult education settings for 40-plus years. Wow. Bless you, brother. Our mutual friend, Mike Metzger, introduced me to Theology of the Body a few years ago, and I'm so thankful. Thank you, Mike. I had never heard the gospel explained in TOB terms, and it has opened my eyes to so much new truth, especially the why behind the sexual difference purpose in life, and the church's moral teachings. I've immersed myself in several of your books and incorporated TOB into the Bible studies and classes I teach. William, thank you. That's just really encouraging to hear. Mm-hmm. Right now, I'm absorbed in your new book, Eating the Sunrise. And it raised a question in my mind. Is it true that beauty is in the eye of the beholder? I think it might be true in some respects, but can also be false in some ways. I appreciate your insights on this. Thanks, William. I appreciate the question, and I think you've already answered it. I would agree with you. It's true in some respects that beauty is in the eye of the beholder and and not true in other respects. Uh, We speak of the three transcendentals, the true, the good, and the beautiful. And we can certainly recognize that the first two are objective, Mm. right? Truth is an objective reality. Goodness is an objective reality. Truth is not in the eye of the beholder. 
that which is good is not in the eye of the beholder. I mean, in a loose sense, we could say, do you think pickles are good? Uh, I, they're not good to me. I mean, they're good objectively, but I don't like pickles. So uh, if, I, if somebody said, do you think pickles are, taste good? I would say, no, there's a subjectivity there. But we're talking about bigger questions here. The objective reality of the true, the good, and the beautiful. We can't go the truth is objective, the good is objective, but beauty is subjective. No, 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 because the true, the good, and the beautiful, beautiful are so intertwined and interrelated. Beauty, you could say, is the, the, the resonance, the, the splendor, the radiance of the true and the good. So that's where I would want to go. Ultimately, we could, I mean, initially we could say, you know, do you find this piece of music beautiful? And some might say, yes, I do. Others might say, no, I don't. Um, we could talk about a subjective level there. But when we're talking ultimate questions, when we're talking the transcendentals, beauty is as objective as is truth and goodness because they're all interrelated. Do you want to add anything to that, Wendy? Sure. I was thinking about this question, you know, because I read it when mm -hmm. I... When I was collecting questions, and one of the things I was thinking about, it, like, why do people even say that beauty is in the eye of the beholder? And I, I think it's meant to acknowledge that we aren't, we don't have equal ability to see beauty. That right, even if beauty is objectively the radiance of the true and the good, we may be limited in our ability to recognize it. Yes. And so acknowledging that reality that one person might see something as not beautiful, but another might see beauty, it could be a way of saying, um, of course, we don't mean literally in the eyeball. We mean right. in the what the an individual person is able to see and recognize. But I think... I think that expression is a really helpful one for just eliminating a certain um, excessively judgmental approach to beauty and kind of keeping it in too tight of a category. I think of a child looks at his or her grandmother and knows her love for mm. him. And she is beautiful to that child regardless of what anybody else might say about her appearance because of how precious the gift of herself is to that grandchild. And that, that grandchild has the eye to see a beauty that someone else coming from a different perspective can't see. Um, so anyway, I think it's a beautiful expression, and yet certainly there there are reasons to be cautious about making it some kind of an, a, a fundamental truth. Right. I think it's more of an insight, or I should say like an insightful sentence that taps into something we all need to hear because um, we need to not be too stuck in our own heads and the beauty we are or are not able to see. And we also shouldn't be too stuck in our own heads when looking at ourselves and thinking, am I beautiful? You know, that we need to recognize that, that there is um, a gift of seeing that 
um, isn't equally given to every human being or hasn't been equally received. And yet the beauty connected to truth and goodness is really there if we can, you know, if we have the eyes to see it. Well said. I can give an example from my own life. Uh, I've had people recommend certain movies to me with, oh, you're going to love it. This is such a beautiful movie. It's The story's so, you know, encouraging and it's going to open your eyes and it's really going to bless you. And I watch the movie and I'm like, I just don't see it. I, <laughs> did, I don't see it. That's right. And I need somebody who sees that beauty that I don't see to crack it open for me. And it's a very rewarding experience. I know this as a teacher to one of my favorite experiences as a teacher is when we, we do our week-long course on Wednesday in the middle of the week, we always show a movie. Every mm -hmm. single course we teach at the Institute has a movie in the middle of it. And oftentimes these are movies that students have seen before, but they haven't really seen mm -hmm. before. Mm -hmm. And one of my most rewarding experiences is when a student comes up to me and says, I've seen that movie before, but I never saw it like I saw it today because you were able to help break it open for me. So the beauty that I was able to see in that movie, I was able to bring to others. That, And I do that with Catholic theology. I mean, that's what I, I love. You know, for so many people, Catholic theology is blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I love to crack open the beauty of theology for people. So it's a very rewarding experience when we see a beauty that others don't see to invite other people to see it. And isn't mm -hmm. that what evangelization is? Mm. Evangelization is cracking open the beauty of Jesus Christ, ultimate beauty, which reminds me of a book that I want to recommend to William. William, if you're not already familiar, you said you're diving into some of the books that we offer here. Um, but one that we put out last year is a retreat by Carol Wojtyla before he became John Paul II called God is Beauty. A third of the book is the retreat, and then another third of the book is commentary from me, and then another third of the book is some reflections from some other scholars and artists and theologians about the nature of beauty. So you might want to dive into that if you haven't already. God is Beauty. We'll have mm. a link to it in the show notes. Yeah, that's great. Thank you, William, for your question. And I hope you're taking advantage, William, of all the benefits we offer our patrons. If you haven't done that uh, in a while, go back to your website for the patron community and check out all the benefits we offer. Hi, Christopher and Wendy. Sharing in sexual intimacy with my wife helps me feel very connected to her. It also helps me open up things that are on my heart. It can be very difficult when we can't share in that intimacy for a longer period of time. Unfortunately, I notice myself hardening my heart, not wanting to be vulnerable, and even becoming distant and irritable during this time. What advice do you have? First, I just want to thank you for your honesty here. I think this is a, an experience that a lot of people can relate to, and maybe even particularly men can relate to this. And I, I want to approach this by talking about the relationship between the spiritual and the physical. You were talking about how physical intimacy can lend itself or lead you to a deeper spiritual intimacy, and it is meant to. And I think, generally speaking, not across the board, but generally speaking, men are wired this way. The way to get to the man's heart is through his body. And that does not mean something is wrong with the man. John Paul II talks about this 
in his commentary on the Song of Songs, how the bridegroom in the Song of Songs is, is seeing his beloved more with the eyes of his body, and that leads him to the eyes of his heart, whereas the bride in the Song of Songs sees more first with the eyes of her heart, and that leads to an appreciation of the eyes of her body. So, generally speaking, men, men tend towards reaching the spiritual through the physical, whereas women, generally speaking, tend towards an appreciation of the physical by beginning with the spiritual. Neither one is wrong, uh, neither one is off, but both need each other. The male, the general male perspective needs that general female perspective and vice versa for the entire picture to be integral. And by integral, we mean the proper relationship between the spiritual and the physical. So what we're seeing here, I believe, is that this man is wired more towards reaching the heart through the body. There is a call and a challenge in married life to learn from the other, to learn the way. And Wendy, you and I can speak to this from our own experience that I have needed to learn from you how to start with the heart, how to begin with the spiritual and have that then manifested physically. Whereas you have needed to learn from me how to appreciate more the physical reality as an expression of the spiritual. I hope I said that correctly. I'm getting kind of lost in my own words. Did that make sense? I think so. Okay, I'm not sure it did, but maybe I think everybody knows what I'm trying to say, even even if I didn't say it entirely correctly there. Men and women need to learn from each other here, and men are generally wired more towards the physical as the pathway to the spiritual. Mm. Women are generally wired more towards the spiritual as the pathway to appreciate the physical. So, my brother, I would hold out to you in these times of abstinence where you feel yourself closing off your heart, that is a call and a challenge to make yourself particularly vulnerable by leading with your heart, leading with your heart, taking the chance, t- making the, or taking the opportunity to make yourself vulnerable by sharing something of your heart with your wife, even though you know in opening your heart that way, in this given time, in this given season, for whatever reason, if you're abstaining for whatever that reason might be, that it wouldn't be leading to a consummation of physical intimacy. But Wendy, you and I can also attest in our married life to beautiful consummations of simply the sharing of our hearts. Mm -hmm. There have been occasions where we may have thought we would come together in our marital embrace on a given evening, and we just start talking and sharing our hearts. And maybe it gets too late because we've been talking so long, and we realize, you know what? We just made love anyway. We made love in a different way because of the the real nakedness and sharing of our hearts. We could also put it this way, in in seeking that integration of the spiritual and the physical, that physical nakedness is only honest in as much as there is a corresponding spiritual nakedness. Uh, And yet, there can be a spiritual nakedness without necessarily a corresponding physical nakedness. We could think of the intimacy of Joseph and Mary, for example. 
no married couple ever lived the Song of Songs more beautifully than Joseph and Mary, and yet they never consummated their marriage in the physical sense of genital intercourse. But there was a mystical consummation in the union of their hearts. Mm. I believe, brother, you desire this or you wouldn't be asking this question, that kind of consummate union of hearts. I know you desire this and I think you're running into some of the challenges of it. Uh, And it's understandable that generally the man reaches that sharing of his heart through the physical intimacy. But there's a call here to learn how to express that spiritual intimacy even when the physical intimacy isn't possible or the physical expression of that intimacy, let's put it that way, Mm. isn't possible. I'm so grateful for this couple, just the very fact that um, they desire that kind of intimacy and that they are, for whatever reason, having periods of abstinence. He doesn't explain that, but how, you know, allowing just just to say that's a beautiful thing and it's it's having a good effect even if it feels like it's having a bad effect and i think that's what i love about this question is because how easily if we just if we took that experience and decided to instead of submitting it as a question like i need advice i need help if we took it as an opportunity to write on some nfp comment board NFP stinks because it makes me grumpy. Yes, yes. You know, what a tragedy to just stay in the negative experience and say, well, I reject the whole situation. There's just something beautiful to me about a couple experiencing something negative and saying, help me, I need to grow yes, here. It's yes. just Amen. really awesome. And I think actually, in a way, I almost feel gratitude that he experiences distance and irritability in that it's like a flag being waved, mm. you know, like, hey, pay attention. And and not to think I'm irritable because of the physical denial. Maybe it's God's gift to say, "I'm wait, I need deeper connection. I need to share my heart. And so I think like, wow, that could be a gift that you thank the Lord for. Wait, I'm feeling this. Wait, what does that mean, Lord? What is it I need to be sharing more? And for us sometimes... You know, we're um, separated by your travel. Mm-hmm. And there have been times where that physical separation has actually led to much deeper sharing of the heart over the phone. Thank you, Lord, for phones. That um, maybe we wouldn't have made the time for or found the time for when you're at home. It's true. So those can be real gifts and graces. I just want to encourage this couple and and this husband. I I really do see something beautiful at work, a beautiful grace in the midst of this. And I'd like to add this, that in trying to find the, the integration of the spiritual and the physical and talking about times of a more spiritual intimacy than a physical intimacy, I don't want to draw too strict a line here. They're, 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 if you find your your heart opening up through physical intimacy, there are levels of physical intimacy that are appropriate even when you know you're abstaining from the consummate embrace of intercourse. Uh, I, I, I hope people realize this. I, I know I've run into couples over the years who think during times of abstinence it means, you know, don't hug me, don't 
don't kiss me, don't get close to me because we can't go the whole way. Uh, oh, I, I desire freedom for these couples. I desire the freedom for which Christ has set us free. Um, I'm assuming here a level of self-mastery where a, a husband and wife can be together, even be naked together, skin to skin, without it leading to climax, without it leading to the marital act. And if that seems crazy or impossible, that I could be naked with my wife or my husband and it not lead to intercourse, I would invite a journey here to go on a journey of learning how to be physically close, physically intimate, without it leading to an arousal that would be inviting the marital act. That is the freedom for which Christ has set us free. And my point here in bringing all of this up is to say to this husband, learn to reach out and touch your wife. Learn to reach out and kiss your wife. Learn to reach out and, and be close, knowing it's not going to lead to consummation, but allow that physical closeness also to open your heart, to prime the pump, so to speak, of sharing your heart. Mm. Because there's nothing wrong with the fact that men, generally speaking, are wired in that way that the physical closeness uh, prompts an opening of the spiritual caverns of the heart, so to speak. That's really beautiful. I hope that was helpful. Yeah. Our next question is from a listener named Camille. Hello, Camille. Christopher and Wendy, hi. God bless you both and your family. Please help me to understand how to accept a not-desired pregnancy. Hmm. Wow, bless you, Camille. I, I Before I say anything, I just want to sit reverently with you, Camille, uh, across the miles, wherever you might be writing in from, and just be with you in that place of, I have a baby in my womb, and this was not what I was hoping for or wanting. Lord, we ask, we ask your Holy Spirit, to be with Camille in that place of questioning, of sorrow, of concern, of pain. You know her heart, Lord. You know what she's facing. You know why this pregnancy has arrived in her life as something unexpected and maybe undesirable. And yet, Lord, and yet, Lord, you as the Lord and giver of life, you have granted the gift of this new life in Camille's womb to bless her, to show her something of your great love. Camille, the scripture that's coming to mind as I'm praying for you, just in that place, is as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are God's ways from our ways. I've said this before on the podcast, maybe even recently, if my memory serves me, that nowhere on planet earth have I been confronted more with the reality that I am not God, and there is a God who is in charge of my life, then in the question of fertility, in the question of the marital act and the conception of new life, both in the times in our marriage where we desired children and they weren't coming, and in the times when maybe we were trying to avoid and that's not the way it went. 
God is God. God is the Lord and giver of life. And our fertility places us squarely on the side of the creature. We are not the creator. We are co-creators with God. We have this amazing invitation to co-create with the living God. Astounding. Utterly astounding. But we are not God. We are not in control here. God is the Lord and giver of life. What we are in control of is whether or not we engage in that act that God designed to bring life into the world. We should at least be in control of those desires that would lead us either to engage in that act or not engage in that act. But in engaging in that act, if it's an honest act, we are saying, Lord and giver of life, if it is your will, let there be life. And it may be, as it is in this situation, an occasion where God's will was something different than your will. And what comes to my mind here is that scene in the Garden of Gethsemane where Christ himself was wrestling to accept the will of the Father. And he prayed, Lord, Lord, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. But in the end, he said, not my will, your will be done. I would invite you, Camille, to pray into those two scriptures. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are the Lord's ways from our ways. I believe that's Isaiah 55, I think. You can Google it and it'll come up. And then pray into that uh, line from Jesus in the garden, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. I, I, I believe this to be, and I can say this with utmost certainty of faith. If God is who he says he is, if God is love, if God is good, and if he is the Lord and giver of life, then this child in your womb is a tremendous blessing from God. And there is good to be learned here. There is good to be received here. There is blessing to open to, regardless of what wrestling might also be involved in learning to open your heart to those blessings. We will be praying for you, dear Camille, that you would come to see this life in your womb as a tremendous blessing, not just in some abstract, objective sense, which I know you already believe, but that you would come subjectively to feel it and receive it as the blessing that it objectively is. There's something about the simplicity with which Camille asked her question that that kind of almost says something in its simplicity and and lack of context and yeah. and even though you know there can be so many different situations in which um a woman would ask this question i there's i don't know it's touching my heart that she just kind of zeroed in on that most important point one of the things that's kind of coming through for me is maybe a sense of a, a depression. And mm. and I just wanted to say something about that um, because I actually experienced depression during pregnancy. Um, and it in, in my case, it wasn't actually caused by a not desired pregnancy, but just 
my hormonal state. And um, in I had a, a beautiful gift of talking with a woman who is a, a spiritual director, and I just think of her as kind of far beyond me spiritually, you know, way further down the, the journey, the path to the Lord, who had experienced a deep depression during a pregnancy and who found toward the end of her pregnancy that she was helped by taking um, supplemental progesterone and it relieved her depression. And I remember that just being so helpful for Mm. me to know that here's this person I consider way holier than I am and she experienced depression during a pregnancy it made me not feel as much shame about my own experience, and it caused me then to seek that help myself in um, my pregnancy. So that, and it did help. So all of that is just to say, I, I'm just hearing that in just the the kind of sparseness of words. I can kind of relate to that coming from a, a place of deep sadness where you don't even feel like talking about the situation. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to hold that out as a component of of the whole mystery of our human lives is that perhaps there could be help from supplemental progesterone, which for me was prescribed by a NAPRO uh, trained um, OBGYN. So I'm just mentioning that because some of our listeners might also benefit from that. Can you explain NAPRO for those who might not know about it? Yeah, you can. Um, The NAPRO is um, a, a training for doctors in understanding how to support um, fertility and women's health without um, kind of, well, in ways that are in line with Catholic teaching, but it leads to a greater understanding of how different hormones work and can be helpful during pregnancy and other you know issues in a woman's fertility. So, I, And I think you can Google just NAPRO, Technology NAPRO NAPRO and find a, a NAPRO trained find if there is a NAPRO trained uh, or NAPRO however you say it doctor in your area and even if not actually you can contact uh, right. the Paul the Sixth Institute directly they do prescribe things for people who are far away from any doctor trained by them so yeah that's just something I wanted to mention and then um. I also wanted to say, just to agree with you, Christopher, that sense of sometimes life gives us circumstances that really could go two directions. Like it, it feels like a fork in the road in a way, and that a, a situation of a not desired pregnancy can be um, just one of those times where it's. The evil one is after us to reject the, that this child is a gift, to reject the fact that we can become pregnant and do, and and we need others to remind us of God has grace for us. And it can be a, a time, those empty, hard circumstances can be times of a lot of grace coming, but not without work. And some of that work can be like, looking at, you know, maybe Camille has several young children and she's overwhelmed. So is there a need in her life to recognize I cannot do everything I'm trying to do? I'm, I'm trying to do too much I, and I need help. And, and could this part of the grace of this pregnancy be the ability to reach out for the help that we need in our circumstances in life to be 
open to the Lord helping us and helping us through other people that we reach out to. So could it be a time of needing to deepen the relationship of husband and wife, of learning how to journey through difficulty in prayer together and to rely on one another in new ways that you haven't in the past? There there are so many possibilities, but... um, I don't want to make it sound easy, and just as you reverenced this situation at the start, I, I feel that as well, but I I want to just encourage anybody who's facing such a, a challenging situation where the the news of the pregnancy brings sadness and and concerns, deep concerns, that all of that needs to be open in our prayer before the Father and needs to, we need to be open to changes in our lives that allow the grace to penetrate on deeper levels um, and to trust like the Lord knows his plan for this child. Yes. And and to recognize that it's it can be in everybody's lives, parenthood, motherhood, fatherhood challenges us. How do we respond? Um, but to desire the Lord's good for this other person is the deepest form of love. And it doesn't always come easily from us. We, sometimes we have to cry out, Lord, fill me so that I can give the love that is called for. I want to just build on that crying out that you were inviting Camille to, which is so important that we cry out to the Lord as we really feel the movements of our hearts. I, I was of the mind for years because of a, an overly pious Catholic education that you should never ask God why. And I had a professor whom I came to love so dearly, and he was a mentor to me over many years, who, who said and just shattered that notion when he said, when somebody says you should never say why to God, your response should be Why? And then he pointed out that Christ himself on the cross cried out from the depths of his heart, why? Why, oh God, why? And I just want to invite you, Camille, not to be afraid of that why and cry out from that place, why, Lord, why have you sent me this child? Why why am I pregnant? You know I didn't want to be pregnant. You know I wasn't ready for this. Why, 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 Lord? Be not afraid of that why. You are united with Christ on the cross in that why. And that can be a profoundly, profoundly intimate experience of union with Jesus to have the courage to enter into that why. Lord, we ask that whatever the questions, the challenges, the sorrows, the sufferings in our lives, that we would not be afraid to enter into that why. And in entering into that why with Jesus, may we, Lord, come to experience not only the sorrows of Christ, but the glories and joys of Christ as well. This is the promise. This is the promise that the way of the cross is not the end. The way of the cross is the means by which we reach the glory for which we earn, where we discover the truth that we are an indispensable, irreplaceable, unrepeatable gift of life and love. And through what you have given us, Lord, in your death and resurrection, we have the grace to become what we are. 
Amen. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. Thank you.